I'm here with Colin Nikaza, and you are the director uh, for the youth ministry, the Archdiocese of New York, and we did a Life on the Rock with you. And uh, first, I wanted to talk to you about uh, your ministry in New York, um, and what's your approach generally, and then what are some of the activities you do with the young adults, I should say? Sure, if I can go through like a little quick helicopter view of how we go about ministry. So basically, I run the Office of Young Adult Outreach. So I reach out to all the 20 and 30-year-olds. And we have a two-pillar system. So the first pillar is to connect with God. So first and foremost, we're helping young adults in their 20s and 30s to encounter God, grow in relationship with Jesus Christ, make saints, make disciples, get people to heaven. The second pillar is to connect with each other, especially in New York. You find a lot of single young adults who are seeking careers and, of course, seeking their vocation. So we just want to help them connect with each other, let them know they're not alone in the faith so they can grow in the faith together. We have a two-program system there. One is called Love and Life Encountered Program. And then the You Did It To Me Apostolic Volunteer Program. And I kind of like explaining it using a biblical analogy. Obviously, you're familiar when Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church. Now, interestingly enough, according to tradition, historically, Jesus was actually standing on a massive rock when he was having this conversation with Peter. And there's a big pit in that rock. And at the bottom of that pit is the biggest spring that goes into the Jordan River. So a lot of people consider that spot where this conversation took place as the beginning of the Jordan River, which is fascinating because you have the river of life flowing from the Lamb of God. Mm-hmm. There's two seas that are part of the, Jordan, uh, uh, of the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Sea of Galilee, I was there a couple years ago. Beautiful. Life in it, life all around it. Dead Sea, literally dead. But it's the same river. Now, scientifically speaking, and it's a great analogy for love, the only reason why the Sea of Galilee is filled with life and the Dead Sea is dead is because the Sea of Galilee receives of the Jordan River and it gives of the Jordan River. The Dead Sea just receives. And so if you're just all about yourself, consumerism, navel-gazing, it's all about you, you're spiritually dead. But if you receive and then give of yourself, you bec- this, is, this is what love is all about. So we try to set up all these opportunities for young adults to receive the love of God first and foremost of the sacraments and in other ways, and then give of themselves. So we set up all of these opportunities uh, for young adults to give of themselves through homeless outreach and nursing homes and, you know, you name it, we do it when it comes to the pastoral works. Right. And is there like a typical, so young adults, 20s, 30s, is there a typical guy that comes to your door is that, I imagine it's a huge spectrum of nationalities and everything or yeah especially in New York you get everybody and anything and mm-hmm. all the different um, uh, t- just types out there different ages different vocations mm-hmm. different um, uh, jobs uh, so but you know I, I'd say the majority of the people that we get in Manhattan are more young professionals they're trying to either really make it in finance, but then we also get the artists and the actors. But the Archdiocese of New York is pretty big. It's the second biggest in the country. So we also have like the upper counties, which is a lot of farm country. So there you'll get younger families and young adults more who who are getting married earlier and having kids earlier. And then we also have like Staten Island and the Bronx and all of the New York Mm -hmm. City experience. So we we get, uh, and I think about 50% of our diocese is Hispanic too. So it's a big culture. Uh, different types of culture in, the, in our diocese as well. Wow, 50%. Wow. Is there a, like a particular kind of gift or even, I don't know if you could say this, charism of like the young adults there? Are they kind of energetic? They're, uh, I mean, you know, the rest of the country kind of looks to New York as trendsetters and everything and kind of 
hip cool. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think like something they bring to the church that's special that you've seen or? You know, John Paul II called Manhattan the capital of the world, which I think is very telling. And it's basically, it's because, you know, obviously it's the media capital of the world. Everybody's watching New York City. And so there, it does bring a, a type of person who is really trying to make it, trying to be successful, which has its pluses and its negatives, of course, too. Right. Uh, so that there is a certain type of crop of young adults at times that we for sure do get to the city. And what would be shocking, I think, to a lot of people, which I've discovered in my job, which I love, is that there, you know, New York City gets a lot of, it's like a bad rap. Like there's just so much terrible stuff happening there. Yes, there's bad stuff happening there, but there are so many good people there. And there are so many practicing Catholics there who are on fire with the faith. And I get the beautiful job of being able to help them encounter God and to grow in that relationship with them. Yeah, and it's such a, a concept concentration of different ethnic groups that come there it seems so special in that sense yeah absolutely You've got a big mix of people there but um yeah and now with the uh, the acting scene do you have like some of the broadway or theater actors come and and do stuff with you all or uh yeah sometimes so at saint malachy's is right across is right around broadway mm -hmm. they have the actors mass Mm -hmm. uh, and I believe it used to, now COVID changed sometimes and everything, but when Broadway was in its up, up and running, I think it was like a midnight mass because people would come uh, from the show, actors and mm -hmm. uh, from the show to, to mass and stuff. And so we've, we've encountered some of that stuff. And when it comes to, the other cool thing about Manhattan is that they usually do a lot of um, uh, movies, obviously. So we have our email list is the catholicnyc.com is our website. We have an email list. We have a pretty big email list. So our office is considered media. So we get a lot, we get invited to a lot of movie screenings and get to meet a lot of different actors that get any religious based fam film or family based film because they want us to advertise it. So there's quite a bit of an involvement. So for example, this Friday, Fatima's hit the new movie on Fatima's hitting the theaters. We're going to bring, you know, some young adults uh, to Times Square AMC. And so we get a lot to do a lot to do with that, uh, you know, with, for the young adults. So there's another movie on Fatima that's coming out? Uh, well, if there's the, yeah, there's a new movie coming oh. out on Fatima, and it's hit in the theaters. Uh, oh, wow. Well, I don't know exactly when it's, but I just know yeah. in Manhattan. They're doing yeah. a big push right now. Okay. And uh, on the show, you also talked about your own journey, which was really interesting. Um, you were in seminary for seven years mm -hmm. and uh, discerned out. Um, you want to talk about that first? How, how do you make, because a lot of young adults, you know, are trying to discern and, and what are some signs you tell them to look for, of whether you're called or not to like the priesthood or religious life? Sure. Uh, so personally, like I, I had a very powerful encounter for a lady sophomore year of college. And that really, once I encountered her and fell in love with her, that changed a lot of the direction of my desires and my heart of the purpose of life and all those, you know, big question issues. And so I kind of led me to discern more about the religious life. But the first thing I, I talk about with young adults is that, you know, people are very afraid of the single vocation or in the sense, of course, when you're a priest, you're not single or, or a sister, you're not considered single, but they're afraid of being, they think they're going to be alone. I like to explain it that when you, if God is calling you to be a priest, as a, obviously as a male, you are, being called to, in a very beautiful, real way, marry the church. 
So it's a different marriage, but no less of a marriage. And the love between the church and the congregation and the, and the priest is so powerful that numerous spiritual children are born, and that's why we call you Father Mark Mary. And same thing with the religious sister, you're being called to marry the bridegroom, the mm. source of all the mm. satisfaction of our heart for love, intimacy, union, and communion. It's a different marriage, but no less of a marriage. So, so anybody should have desires for marriage and family. We all do for love, intimacy, union, communion. So it's really called to which marriage you're being called to because we're all called to the eternal marriage in heaven for all eternity. That's it. That's the end goal. But we got to discern what now most of us are called to the marriage between a husband and wife. And the husband's job is to help the wife to get to heaven, and the wife's job is to help the husband get to married, heaven, and have, and if God willing, children. That's most people's past. But there is many, especially in our day and age, who are being called to the priesthood, religious life. And I'd even say consecrated single life. Like myself, I've been discerning that I, I, I'm not feeling drawn at this moment in my life to marriage and family as much as I would love it. And at the same time, I'm not feeling very drawn to the priesthood or even a religious life. And there's something happening, I think, right now, and I've been noticing a lot of young adults have been going through this, um, that they're very mission-oriented, and God's got a... Bottom line is God's got a plan, and yeah. He's not. Uh, he's going to satisfy the ache of the human heart. Yeah, it is amazing. Uh, just, you know, the missionary activity of, of young people today, I think, you know, focus seems to have been able to marshal this, you know, with the work of the Holy Spirit, you know, evangelizing college campuses and everything, and... I remember one year I went to a focus conference, like 20,000 plus, yeah. and uh, I just said, wow, this is like seemingly like the mission outreach in the United States, yeah. you know? <laughs> but uh, so you're seeing that a lot, of, a lot of young people like really are dedicated to missionary work and things and evangelizing. Yeah, it's happened across the country. Just, yeah. you know, I've been blessed to be able to go around the country and give talks on various issues and. I used to work for Generation Life. I used to work for TO, uh, the, um, Ascension Press and as a TOB teens trainer. And so in that ministry of being able to travel and meet, it's amazing how many people like myself, young, um, who are, you know, just still discerning vocations, but are still single. Yeah. I'm almost 40. And it, it's like, it's just been an interesting phenomenon happening for the time that we're living in that it seems like there's a lot of single people out there. And so I encourage young adults not to be afraid of that. And if God is calling you to marriage, you're going to get married. If God's calling you to the priesthood of religious life and, and you're open to it, you're, you're going to be led down that path. Right. Um, but we don't need to force it and we can just trust that God's going to lead us to where he needs us to go. Right, right. Now let's talk about something you shared on the show was uh, your own uh, struggle with OCD, and uh, I thought there were some beautiful fruits from that. And it connects, I think, to the discerning, too, about not being too rigid with, like, God's plan for your life. And uh, But maybe we should just talk about the OCD thing now and your journey there. Sure. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of misconceptions of what OCD is, and there's many different types out there. But So for me particularly, it was a beautiful grace where God revealed it to me that I had it. This year, and I've had it my entire life. Now that I look back in my life, I'm like, oh, that's what happened to me when I was in fourth grade and this and that. And I can see it being played out in different ways throughout my life. And for me, especially after the encounter with Our Lady, for me, a lot of it got caught up in like a religious OCD, a scrupulosity, a fear of being outside of God's will. So for one example, and so to explain a little bit more about what OCD is, is, you know, the human mind has as many thoughts a day as basically the human heart has beats. 
Mm -hmm. I think that's correct. And but for you know, we get thoughts all throughout the day. And for most of us, it's just clouds will kind of pass through the sky. Irrational thoughts, crazy thoughts, whatever thoughts, no big deal. And we move on with our day. Somebody with my condition, what could happen is that one of those thoughts can get latched into the mind and you start to obsess over it. And then it starts to, uh, depending on how bad it is or how bad your condition is, it could get buried into your emotional state and it causes tremendous anxiety, tremendous fear, awful depression. And, and there's been many times in my life where I've been caught and I've experienced really bad cases of this. One in particular uh, was when I was discerning the religious life early on in my journey. And I, I go to, I get off the plane in Italy, I'm discerning the Brothers Minor of Mary Immaculate. And right away, even right when I get off the plane, I'm like, what am I doing here? Am I really gonna leave the United States? Am I really gonna join this order, leave my family? I started to go through a tremendous anxiety attack. And as time went on, because of my condition, it, the thought got latched into me that if I don't join this order, I'm turning my back on God, I'm outside of his will, and I'm in danger of hell. All absolute lies, but because of my condition, it got caught and it buried in deep. And I went through two weeks of tremendous anxiety and fear. I literally lost like 12 pounds. The anxiety was so bad. It, it, nobody knew what was going on. We just didn't know what was happening at that time. And, but there was one particular time when I was in the chapel, and uh, in this where I, I encourage people to, to stay close to divine mercy and to Our Lady in the midst of these type of struggles of fear, anxiety, and depression. And, I, and I've had two powerful encounters, one with Divine Mercy. There's one day I was in the chapel and I, I was a seminarian at the time. I have the bravery and I had the Divine Mercy image as a bookmark. And I'm in the midst of this terrible anxiety attack and just tremendous fear, no idea what the heck's going on and why I was feeling this way. And all of a sudden I'm looking at the Divine Mercy image and I lock eyes with Jesus. And it was, I didn't know much about Divine Mercy back then. I just had the image. And I just, it was just this beautiful grace just hit me like a wave where the reality that Jesus was real, that he loved me, that he knew what I was going through. It just hit me like this beautiful wave and just showing me how much he loved me uniquely, unrepeatably, and he knew that I was, what I was going through. The fact that he knew what the torment I was in just meant a lot to me at that time. And all of the fear and the anxiety disappeared for about two and a half days. And I was filled with joy and consolation and peace. Now, Two and a half days later, it all came back. And there's two value, all the anxiety and fear came back. There's two things that God taught me that day, now that I look back on it. One was that there's absolute grace coming through that image. Jesus promises grace is coming through that image to St. Faustina. Uh, and he's allowed me to encounter that twice in my life, and that's once. Now, does that mean every time you look at an image or anybody looks at an image, you're going to experience something? No. I, I have the image on my phone. I see it a thousand times a day almost, and only twice in my life did I. But Jesus was showing me, even if you're not feeling anything, grace is coming through the image. And the second thing he taught me that day was that he like, knew the cross that I had and he took it away. It was almost like Jesus telling me, Kyle, I know how much torment you're going through, but I need you to trust me. I know this is a terrible, heavy cross right now, but I'm going to give it back to you. And the fact that he took it away from me for two and a half days, it was like Jesus was saying, look, I can take this away anytime I want, but I'm going to give it back to you and I want you to trust me. There's a reason for it. And when it, and so I, and because we have to remember, God sees the past, present, and the future as one present moment, which means he knows everything that we've ever gone through, what we're going through now, which means he has a plan. And it was only until 20 years later that God, through help, through, not, through professional help, did God decide to start healing me. The bottom line of what I learned through that is that no matter what you're going through, 
There's a reason for it. Keep going and trust and get both help from the spiritual grace that God's pouring out through the sacraments, but also get professional help. And like the professional help would be maybe medication, counseling. Yeah, medication. Mm -hmm. I recommend Dr. Greg Patoro's Catholic Psych Institute. Great work being done there. Uh, there's mycatholic.com. There's some great Catholic psych uh, psychiatrists there. Get counseling. Mm -hmm. Go to doctors. If, if you discern with a doctor that you should be on medication, get on medication. If there's, a, there's a problem out there in society, which I've noticed, that there's a misunderstanding of mental illness. There's a misunderstanding because OCD is just one of the many out there. And there's a lot of people going through a lot. And if you over-spiritualize it, now, it's been beautiful in my journey where God and Our Lady has consoled me in many different ways of this OCD that I have. Um, but he decided to heal me through professional help. We're body, soul, and spirit. We need both. So we don't want to over-spiritualize it and be like, well, I can just pray this away and I just got to just accept the cross and keep moving forward. There's something to that, but no, God wants to take care of us and heal us. And, and so he encourages, he, he created minds of doctors and of understanding and the psychology and all of this. Right. And so you need both. And I really recommend both this because there's, so, there's too many young adults right now with suicidal thoughts or going through depression, fear, and anxiety, there is help. Right. Get the help and stay in trust in Jesus and Mary. And so there was 20 years between yeah. that first experience. From that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and what, yeah, what, man. So the lesson, for, you think for that, or I don't know if lesson is the right word, but the fruit of that is realizing, yeah, God's all powerful, but he chooses this cross for us or allows it? And yeah, you know, it's a good question. I, I'm still, cause it's, it's just kind of a new thing of the reality that I had OCD. So, and so a reason I'm getting, I'm getting the help that I needed. So I'm experiencing tremendous healing. And again, yeah, as you said, it was 20 years later. What I've learned from that is that, well, one is that if I didn't have this condition, I wouldn't be here with you now. I wouldn't be giving talks around really the world at this mm -hmm. point on Divine Mercy and Our Lady and OCD, uh, the times we're living in. So I've just learned that God's got a plan and it's, yeah. and it's not the way that you think it may turn out to be. But like the, the biggest consolation I do, again, as I kind of already mentioned, is that God sees the past, present, and future as one present moment, which means everything that's ever happened to me is going to happen. He, he knew before the foundation of the world was going to happen, which means he has a plan. And we have free will, so we can deviate from that plan and we can, we can kind of mess with that plan. But when we accept the crosses that God gives us and we... That it, I'm not talking about passive receptivity. It's active receptivity. We, we accept the crosses the best that we can. And, I, and believe me, in those 20 years, don't think that I was like a walking saint think, handling this well. Right. I did not handle this well in many different ways. I right. suffered a lot and, yeah. and did things that I wish I never did because of the suffering that I was yeah. going through. But, but God's got a plan. He loves us. Get the help that you need professionally, in which he led, opened up doors for that, but also recognize that there's absolute grace for people in our, with our situations. And you, you talk about the image, you know, as a source of grace. Jesus, you know, miraculously appeared in a vision to Saint Faustina. And how how do you describe that to people today? Like, how should they incorporate that in their devotional life? How should they see the image? What are its salient points? Sure. Uh, so one of the thing I recommend is that if uh, get an image if you don't have one of the Divine Mercy image. There's three approved ones out there, I believe. Uh, and any anyone will do. I, I personally like the original one. Um, uh, I like putting it on my phone because I'm kind of addicted to my phone and I'm working mm -hmm. on it. And But I know at least every time I look at the phone, I'm getting smacked right. with some grace. 
Um, but there's so much, I mean, gosh, I could talk for hours about the image itself, but there's just a few things I guess I'll highlight. One is, um, you know, Jesus is coming out of darkness. If, if you see the, the original image and he's in this bright, bright, bright light, we're all going through darkness right now. And in one level or another, and uh, either in our personal lives, and of course you see what's happening with the pandemic across the world, and that Jesus is the light in this penetrating darkness that we're all going through. And the image should, that's the first thing that should that hit you about the image. And also is that Jesus said that he's on the cross looking down in this image. Mm-hmm. Now, this is just my interpretation. Like, uh, this is not, uh, this is just my opinion. But I just wonder if, um, uh, you know, when Jesus was transfigured on the mount in front of James and John and Peter, I just wonder if Jesus was trans, if he decided to transfigure himself on the cross, I wonder if this is what we would have seen. Mm. The image of the divine mercy, of the blood and water being poured out. Jesus' heart is pierced, blood and water pours out, the birth of, you know, the sacraments are born. And it's, uh, so that, that's, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that, you know, recognizing that. Another thing I'd, I'll recognize, uh, talk about is that Jesus has taken a step forward in the image, which means he's the one who first acts. Like, you know, this happened in my life. Like I had this beautiful encounter of Our Lady and it's like Jesus and Mary took the first step, you know, the, you know, to me. Like, they chose me uniquely, unrepeatably, meaning that I have a purpose in life. And that's true for every single one of us. And it's, it's just a beautiful reality when you recognize that. Also, he, uh, he's blessing you. He's trying to console you. Um, he's not afraid of his wounds. I mean, he's literally pointing to his wound and light in, is coming out. He's not afraid of our wounds. He's not afraid of our sin. He's not afraid of his own wounds. You can see that clearly in the image. Uh, goodness, I could go on and on about the image, but there's a lot yeah. there. I was sharing with you earlier. I like that one image of him that he's got a little bit of a smile to it. <laughs> and for some reason, that spoke to me recently too about you know God's mercy and yeah the the passion and resurrection. He's overcome evil, sin, and death and. So he can appear in the upper room through locked doors and tell them peace. Yeah. You know, and and I think it would be kind of, I don't know, I imagine it, he'd have a little smile. <laughs> <laughs> this is good news, guys. You it's know? the good news of the gospel, that's right. <laughs> yeah, we can have peace despite the tragedies, the sufferings, the difficulties, the crosses of the world. And uh, wow, that is such a needed message today. and I. I'm just struck by, you know, you hear people's stories and and I I just pick up when I hear them talk about a lot of times that they meet Jesus on the cross. Like they find that the Catholic Church has, says something about suffering in the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it's like kind of the opposite of like our American vision. It's like, well, you're going to make me prosper, health, wealth, gospel kind of thing. Right. But you hear a number of stories where people are like, Oh, this guy knows something about suffering, yeah. you know, and I suffer, right? He connects, totally. yeah. And Jesus says he was, he's going to be raised up. He'll draw all men to himself. Right. Interestingly, St. Teresa of Avila said, there's only one thing in heaven we're going to thank God for, and that's the cross. Mm. She said, like, not our vocation, not the consolations he gave throughout our life. She said, it's the only thing we're going to thank him for, because we're going to see the mystery of the cross. You know, there's a beautiful understanding that a, a, a kind of in prayer I got this past year was it was kind of I never understood in, in the you know the, the, the good the at the crucifixion there's the good thief and the bad thief yeah. but in one gospel I can't remember which one it says that both thieves were like ranking on him and yelling mm-hmm. at him and then it also talks about 
one converts. So it's like, so why are both? And it, it like hit me. It was like, it's just like this. He encountered Jesus on the cross. Mm. So he started off kind of like yelling at him, doesn't like the cross. But then all of a sudden, I don't know, he's hearing Jesus pray for his executioners. He's seeing, I mean, I can't imagine what he was seeing, the love in Jesus's eyes and the torment of suffering. And he had a complete conversion on the cross. Yeah. So much so that Jesus promises to, to, to take them to heaven that day. Right, right. You know, so it's like, but it was that on the cross that he encountered Christ. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it struck me too, like you said about like your own journey, the 20 years, and um, that I think that's a temptation for us too. It's like, uh, you know, maybe shouldn't we be better? You know, we're Christians, we've been given graces, and I know about the cross, and yet I'm still dropping it, putting it down, yeah, running too. from it. You know, so it's like, yeah, how do you, uh, I don't know, sometimes I wonder, is that part of it? You know, it's like, I think about that in ministry sometimes too. It's like, you know, you trying to follow God's will, you say, here I am, yes, Lord, uh, take me, whatever you want to say, uh, I'll go. And, uh, but, you know, we bring our fallen, weak human nature and, and we're, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have sins and all this kind of stuff. And I, I kind of try to look at it on a good day. It's like, well, that's part of it, you know, in the sense that I'm trying to serve the Lord and it's not going to look like a hagiographies, hey, you know, story. You know? <laughs> but I don't know. I, I kind of see the beauty of it sometimes, too. Well, you know, hey, this guy didn't give up mm-hmm. a lot of personal struggles, whatever. But he kept, you know, you're going to get there if you don't give up, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that I've learned the many different times that I've been the crosses in my own life is that Jesus is just really trying to show me, and he already says in the gospel, you can do nothing without me. Mm-hmm. So there is something beautiful about the cross. The heavier the cross is, the real is how vulnerable you are, how weak you are, how little you are, how sinful you are. And Jesus is like, though I know, don't worry. I Like Satan likes to try to get in our thoughts until you're like better, you know, until you figure this out, then you should go to Jesus. You know, one analogy I love to use is that Jesus is not afraid of our stench. One of my favorite parts of the gospel is when right before he raises Lazarus and he says, remove the stone. And what's the first thing they say? But Jesus, there's going to be this great stench. And he's like, I don't care. Remove the stone. He's not afraid of our stench. What happens is in the lies coming straight from hell is that we get embarrassed about our stench, our sin, our weakness, and our littleness. But Jesus, in the time of mercy that we're living in, we learn through St. Therese, we learn through St. Faustina, we learn through the Catholic Church, is that Jesus knows we're little. And the littler we are, the weaker we are, the more he's going to pour out graces and help. That, that's the conclusion we're supposed to come to. So the heavier, what I've experienced, the heavier my crosses are, the more I recognize I literally cannot do this. And Jesus is like, I know. That's the conclusion I needed you to come to. You need a savior, Colin. Mm. You can't do this without me. There's nothing you can do without me. And I wouldn't have learned it as much as I did now without those heavy crosses. Right, right. Now, Our Lady also had a role in like the spiritual help you received, I think, in your journey with OCD. Tell us about that. Sure. So one of the things that started to happen to me when I was 19 is I started to lose my hair. And at the time, it was just devastating to me because... At the time, I was really discerning marriage, and I wanted to get married, and I wanted to have kids, and I wanted to fall in love and find that beautiful wife out there. And, and so I, the lie, because of the condition that I had, is that if I'm losing my hair, the world tells me you're not going to be attractive, you're not going to be desirable, you're not going to find... So basically, the lie sunk in that I'm not going to 
find the love and intimacy, union, and communion that I'm looking for. That was the lie that latched in, and it caused tremendous fear, tremendous anxiety, and really depression at that time. And But in the midst of that, I started to pray more and because I was suffering so much, and I was basically like praying for my hair to come back. And, you know, God, you know... And that prayer hasn't been answered. It has not even close to <laughs> been answered. But I have a nice shaped head, so, you know, I wouldn't have known that if, uh, if that didn't happen. But it, it was beautiful what happened because... During that time, when I'm in the midst of this, I found this book um, on the operations of Our Lady. And I, I, I always had the faith, and I, I'm very thankful for my parents who, who raised me in the faith, and I believed in Jesus. But I never, I mean, I believed in Mary, just never really knew her or had an encounter with her. So I'm reading it in this book, and it's really fascinating, and I all of a sudden come across Fatima. And, and it was beautiful. It was like during the, about the second, I think it was the second apparition or first, that when, when Our Lady is talking to Lucia and then obviously to Jacinto and Francisco, uh, or Jacinta and Francisco, but Our Lady basically asks, I'm paraphrasing, it's not exact, but it basically she says, are you willing to suffer for the conversion of sinners and for reparation for sins committed against my Immaculate Heart? She's acting, asking the children this. And all of a sudden, right after I read that part, something happened to me where I just got, like, I'm not a mystic. I haven't seen Mary. I'm not a, you know, I don't have, I'm not a visionary or anything like that. But but they, all of a sudden I felt this absolute love of warm love being poured into my body. And I knew it was her. And it was so profound and beautiful for me for many reasons. One was that she was just showing me and allowing me to encounter physically, if you will, internally, how much she loved me and how special I was to her and how unique I was to her, that I was her child. And like she was my mother and it was just so powerful and it also was healing in a very mystical in a beautiful way that like I was so afraid that I wasn't going to be desirable to a woman and she was like showing me how desirable I was to her as a woman as a mother in a beautiful way you know that that I was in her eyes I was so beautiful in her eyes I was so attractive in her eyes I was so desirable and it, it just healed me for weeks it all came back, like the, the fears and stuff, but it knocked me off my socks in the sense that it, it completely... <laughs> That's a common theme for you, this incredible experience, and then it comes back. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's a common, exactly right. And it's, but, it, but once, once, you, once Our Lady gets you, it's over. I mean, she's yeah. transformed my life. She loves all of it. And the thing is, I'm not special. I'm, not, I'm yeah. unique in their eyes, but we're yeah. all unique in right. their eyes. Right. It's, she doesn't love me more than she loves yeah. you. She just yeah. allowed me to encounter that love that she has for all of us. And I guess it's a call to faith, right? To to walk and not have the powerful experience every day. Right. You know? No, I so. mean, I'm convinced, you know, if anyone's listening and they're like, man, I wish I had these encounters. First of all, I can almost promise you, we all go through the crosses, but I've also experienced some, I mean, when you go through an anxiety attack losing 12 pounds, I can't tell you the torment you go through. So it's not yeah. like, I hope no one there is listening being like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah, this, yeah. this kid's had these great encounters. The only reason why God has given me these encounters, I believe, is A, he did want to, as a gift for me personally, because he loves me as his child. But I, but whatever mission's coming, I feel like for the rest of my life, I want to bring people who struggle with fear, anxiety, and depression to divine mercy and to Our Lady, first and foremost through the sacraments, of course. But like, so it's a particular mission that God's given me. And he only, and he gave me these encounters for others. So it's like, but it doesn't make me any more special. It doesn't mean... Oh, because I have my encounter then. It's the mystery of the faith, right? Only everyone got to see Jesus die on the cross, but a very select few got to see him rise. And what was those 
mission to those who got to see him rise, to go out to proclaim the good news. And that's, we all, so all of us are called to something. These, been, these are unique gifts, but just don't think that I, for a second, that I, I sit in adoration and I'm floating. It's not even close. I experience a lot of dryness, a lot of suffering, a lot of, to this day, anxiety and fears. But God has just allowed me to taste the reality of his goodness and love as well. And again, like your experience with Our Lady was this, you said the triumph of her mm-hmm. immaculate heart. And yeah, she, you know, there's a beautiful uh, thing that the, the, the beautiful thing with divine mercy and, and Our Lady is the fact that they use the word refuge and shelter. So for example, divine mercy to Faustina, Jesus said, I want divine mercy Sunday. And I would just say, oh, really all divine mercy in general. Oh, first of all, it's worth mentioning, I don't think I mentioned yet, is that mercy comes from the Latin word misericordia. So literally translated means to give one's heart to one who is in misery. Mm-hmm. So divine mercy in a very real, powerful, beautiful way is Jesus pouring out his sacred heart to all of us who are in misery. And of course, this has been an important message for me, particularly because of the misery that I've experienced because of this OCD. Um, so, so he talks about how he wants the divine mercy to be a refuge. And what's a refuge? It's a place of shelter. It's a place of safety. There's so many times in my life that I have felt endangered or I felt unsafe because of my OCD irrational things or real fears out there like COVID and you live in New York and living in New York I can get it by a taxi and it's like and so I always try to remember like okay Jesus's sacred heart is my refuge and she said the same thing in Fatima to Lucia she sowed the children the vision of hell and even I'm sorry even before that um she she they asked if they were going to go to heaven and and a lady said to Lucia and again I'm paraphrasing this is not exact quotes but uh she basically said to her Yes, I'll take Francisco and Jacinta soon. And they died of the Spanish flu. So there was a huge pandemic going on by the, around that time. A year late, basically a couple of years later. Um, and But then she said to Lucia, you'll be staying for a little time longer. Now it's funny they say a little time longer. It was, she, she lasted until her 90s. Mm-hmm. So you never know the day nor the hour. But, um, but when Lucia heard this, she got very upset and was like, and she asked right away, she's like, so you mean that I'm going to be left here alone? And maybe many of us are going through that, feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling like you're by yourself. And Our Lady just looked at her beautifully and says, not alone. She says, I will always be with you. And I want my, she says, I want my immaculate heart to be your refuge. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful because it's such an important message for me because Our Lady allowed me to encounter that in my encounter with her, that her immaculate heart is a refuge. And in the midst of that refuge is that she also wants her immaculate heart to triumph. Because right after she showed the vision of hell, she says, this is where poor sinners go. And, and God wants to establish devotion to my immaculate heart to save sinners. And she gave us the first Saturday devotion, the five consecutive Saturdays. We could talk a little bit more about that. The understanding of the rosary. And, but she says, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And what does this mean? There's a lot of meanings out there. I like to think of it as is that what's Mary's job? What's her vocation? To point us to her son. Do whatever my son tells you. So means to, so what happened to my heart is Our Lady won my heart completely for Christ. So she triumphed my heart by, my, by her love for me. And so one of my understandings that I think of the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary is that she wants to win over hearts for Christ, for the kingdom of God. And so I want to spend the rest of my life trying to help people help encounter Jesus' love and Mary's love through the sacraments, through these devotions, so that so that Christ can win over their hearts, so that Mary's heart can triumph in theirs, so they can get to Christ. 
And when you experienced that warmth, you were praying the rosary? I w- no, I was right at, I, I ended up, I fell to my knees and I started to cry because it was just so consoling and healing. I started to pray the rosary. It, okay. My first instinct was to pray uh, the rosary. But it was, yeah. it was, it came out, it was more, it more, almost came out of the blue. Actually, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll share with you a dream I had when I was, was Our Lady. And it, it was just interesting how flat up. When I was younger, I think I was about four or five, I had a dream of Our Lady. And I'm, I'm, I'm in my Newport house in Rhode Island in the dream. Uh, and I've had this image of a dream throughout my entire life. And it just makes sense on the path that I've been on. I'm sitting around the kitchen table with my parents and my three sisters. I grew up with three sisters. I love it now, but it was a tough childhood. And, uh, Were they older? Uh, two older, one younger. So they, they claim I was the spoiled one. But, you know, that's a whole conversation for another time. But uh, I love it now. But it was, but so basically, uh, in this dream, I'm sitting around the dinner table with my parents and with my three sisters. And all of a sudden, our lady's behind me. And she goes, Colin, it's time to go. And I'm looking up, and I'm a little kid, four or five. And I'm like, what do you mean it's time to go? And my family's like, what do you mean it's time to go? And then all of a sudden, I just remember being on the stairs, looking up like in my house, um, just like on the bottom of the stairs. Mary's at the top of the stairs. And there's a little, a little lift, a couple stairs um, to the first stair I was stepping on. So my family was down to the right of me, and they're all crying because I had to leave. And I have this, this little bag, and Our Lady is just smiling at me, being like, it's time to go. And she takes my hand, and all of a sudden, we're just flying through space. And there's stars passing by me. I just remember like looking at her. She's smiling at me, and she's guiding me to heaven. She's my way to heaven. She's, you know, and it, it's just, and then I, and I woke up. And now that, that dream's been in my mind my entire life. I had no devotion to her. I didn't have it until, but it kind of made sense. It was like, it was very sudden. It was like, I'm living my life. I'm living my life. I'm doing a lot of the same crap my friends are doing in the secular world. Like I did, grew up Catholic, but was not a perfect practicing Catholic. And then it was all of a sudden, I, I go through this, I start losing my hair, go through tremendous depression, anxiety. I have this encounter of Our Lady, and it just set me on a, this dramatically different path from that moment on. So, And on the encounter, like you were praying, you were distressed about you know, your situation there, and and you just you said a prayer to Our Lady. So the... I, I read I read the quote, uh-huh. and as soon as I read that quote, yeah. and, you know, and, you know, think of what the quote was. It was basically Our Lady was asking me, Colin, are you willing to suffer for the conversion of sinners oh, and for okay. reparation for sins okay. committed against the Immaculate Heart of Mary? Now, okay. the beautiful thing was that's when I encountered it. That's when the love started pouring in. But that's a tough thing to ask, right? So it's like, and I don't even know what I'm saying yes to. But all I can tell you, because it was Our Lady asking the way she asked me. And, and she didn't mess around. Like, I've suffered tremendously. Like, and, and then we've all suffered tremendously. I, don't want, I also don't want to exaggerate either, being like I've mm-hmm. suffered worse than others. There's people who have gone through much worse sufferings than I've mm-hmm. gone through, for sure, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, however, Our Lady wasn't kidding when she asked me that question. And I don't know what I have to go. Who knows what I have in the future to suffer? Mm-hmm. But when Our Lady asks you, when she pours her love into you, when you understand how unique and unrepeatable and how loved you are by God the Father and by her, you want to say yes to the cross because, or you want to say yes to whatever they ask of you. And that's what kind of happened to me. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's a beautiful part too about um, it, just the love of Our Lady and like, um, because I, you know how like that was kind of healing maybe something in your relationship or longing for a spouse and you know desire for that um because i have seen that too with with women and like relation to the priesthood they're like an image of the father mm-hmm. and there's something 
on a natural level too sometimes that it just uh, that the priest can hopefully be a, a healing point for them but um, yeah I've got a friend that he mentioned to me too like he, he had struggled with his own his relationship with his mother and and when he became Catholic it was he felt this healing from Our Lady, like mm-hmm. the perfect mother. And uh, so I think that's a great thing to point out. It's almost, you know, you could see how God uses the natural in healing in the sense of she's a woman, you know, <laughs> it brings a certain gift package and healing there. So and we all have father wounds and mother wounds. I yeah. mean, Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father. He gave us Mary at the cross as a loving mother. And if we have father and mother wounds, not because our parents, are bad evil people Mm -hmm. it's it just goes all the my parents did the best they could and i'm thankful for them but i'm wounded from them and because they were wounded from their parents and their parents and it goes all the way back to adam and eve right jesus came to heal the father wound and the mother wound in a very real way right and that's how we and it's from the love of god and through the love of our lady that can help heal and again it's not to over spiritualize it get the professional help too god uses the whole package with body soul and spirit this yeah. is, so I'm not talking about praying anxiety away. And sometimes Jesus does that. But the, the, what he did with me, and I think he uses for most people, is, is through professional help, through good doctors, yeah. through good medication if you need it. Um, but with the combination, of course, with the Catholic faith and a healthy understanding of all right. that. And maybe we'll wrap up again uh, talking about God's will. I think... Um... I think a lot of people struggle with that. I, you know, lives of saints, you've seen scrupulosity and mm-hmm. things, and there's desire to to live perfectly God's will, anxiety if you don't. But it, it's like, I don't know, sometimes I wonder too, it's like we are also broken and wounded and see through a glass darkly, as St. Paul talks about, <laughs> that I, I, gotta, I gotta believe that God sees our heart and our desires to want to please him. But who of us is going to get it perfectly? Right. <laughs> I mean, just like from the very start, we were doomed to fail in one sense, you know. But um, what do you tell people about that doing God's work? You know, I don't have the blessing of, of being an, like an earthly father and having my own children. Uh, however, I have a pale comparison. Like my sister, uh, two of my sisters, I have, so I have nephews and nieces. And I'm absolutely in love with my nephews and nieces. And when they're little, when they're three, they're four, like I delight in watching them play. I delight, and I'm just the uncle. I can't even imagine what it's like for somebody who's a father or a mother. It's gotta be times, whatever. But so, but I like to compare it to like God the Father, we're all of his children. Like when they're messing around, when they're falling around and they're not doing things perfectly, I don't love them any less. When they're being disobedient, I don't love them any less. I wanna, I'm out for their greater good. So I'm not going to let them eat a whole bag of candy when they're two, you know, because I don't want them to, to get sick. But, you know, it's in the sense of like, so I will to do the thou shalt nots, not to take them away from their happiness, but to, but to help them. But I can't, so I just say that we have to remember that God the Father is our true Father. And he, we are all his children and he delights in us and he loves us and we do not need to be perfect. It's not a, a, a legalistic if anything, Jesus was very clear about legalism. To like, he, he was more harsher on the Pharisees and the scribes than he was to the tax collectors and the prostitutes in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean every, anything's a license to sin. Yeah. Do whatever you want, no big deal. No, of course not. We believe in the church, what it teaches, and in all its areas of morality. But, man, God is not a tyrant. He is not 
a legalistic, pharisaical father. Right, right. And just so, the only thing I can compare it to is think of how much the fathers and mothers out there who love their children and how much they loved him in the midst of all they're going through. And maybe if you're single out there, if you know, even if maybe, maybe somebody babysit, but like how much you love those kids and how much it's not even close to how the father and the mother look at us, how yeah. God looks at us. Yeah, and you think about the beginning of the church, you know, established on the cross. That, That's a mess. You know, yeah, and Peter is like denying our yeah. <laughs> yeah, the first it's a pope. It's a, you know, he denies Jesus. And you know, he's reinstated, so to speak, on the shores of Galilee there, you know, feed my lambs. But it's like... Uh, yeah, that is a that's a <laughs> the difficult mess beginning, you know. Yeah. But, uh, We're all messes. Yeah, yeah. Christ knows it. He's not afraid of our mess. He loves our mess in a very real way. Well, thank you so much, Colin, for talking with us. Thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me.